You're listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast, illuminating the unheard stories of today's top leaders in impact with your host, Gino Borges. Welcome back to the Poetry of Impact podcast. Today, we welcome Adam and Beck Milgram, brother and sister who together run Triple Ventures based in Australia. Adam and Beck are also fellow Tonic members, which is how we originally met. Tonic is a global action community of high net worth individuals, family offices, and foundation asset owners who are deepening their impact across the spectrum of capital and personal resources. In today's episode, I think you're particularly going to like how Adam and Beck Milgram talk about all their sibling dynamics and how their shared goals and impact actually amplify their family relationships. Adam and Beck also tell us about the immense feeling of responsibility around their roles in guiding capital. And yet, I think what's really impressive is how they navigate urgency and the long game with practicality and patience. So I'm most inspired by how Adam and Beck are both really committed to making things better now rather than just waiting for everything to be perfect in the future. So now drop in and enjoy the show with Adam and Beck Milgram. Welcome back in Adam. Thanks, Gina. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. For sure. And where are both of you guys calling in from today? I am in beautiful Byron Bay in the northern coast of New South Wales. And I'm down in Melbourne. Down in Melbourne. Two two absolutely beautiful places. I've been to neither, just Sydney, but um, obviously we have a bunch of shared friends that have our mutual friends that have places in Melbourne and and in Byron Bay as well. And um, I just want to say before it, in advance, congratulations to Adam, who's on his way of having his third child, uh, which will become part of the conversation because one can't help but that be part of what he's occupied with. And um, also uh, Beck as well. Um, you know, I mean, I really feel for you guys to some extent because um, Australia has been involved in in this crackdown and yet still sort of life is, uh, you know, is still going on. And I know that um, you guys are really leaders in Australia and you guys are both leaders also on the personality front. Like everybody that I meet likes you guys. So, I mean, it's not, so they like just hanging out with Adam and Beck just for like drinks or going out to lunch. I mean, beyond just impact. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. I want to begin with um, what's like to be in partnership with siblings on on a you know day to day basis or on a weekly basis and trying to actually create a family investment company together that's focused on 100% impact. That's funny. Um, it, it's a funny it's a funny journey. I think some days, most days, it's really joyful. Um, we came together, and part of the reason why we decided to do triple together was because we thought we could do better things together than alone. So that's always been the premise of what, of, of why we came together and what keeps us together in frustrating moments. Of course, we're, we're not only siblings, but we're three individuals. I should mention we um, run triple with our other sibling, Jake. Um, and so, of course, there are times where it's tense, where we disagree, um, and part of managing that is getting good decision-making processes, but 99.9% .9 of the time, it's super fun. Um, and it, it's really, it's, 
like we like each other. <laughs> I think I think that's a that's a great thing to start with. We we started doing this together because we liked each other and we thought there was opportunity, not because um, we were fighting against personality clashes. Yeah, I think that's that's probably an important point. I don't I don't think I would do this with the hope that it would make you closer. <laughs> I think you want to start close and then work together um, because you see an opportunity there. Sure. And when you say uh, you put decision-making processes together, I mean, what does that look like that has actually helped and enhanced and amplified your relationships? Yeah. So I think it was really important that we all felt that we um, both like had autonomy. Um, and so what we've done in all decision-making is basically that you, you can have three choices. You either agree with the decision, you abstain from the decision or you veto the decision. And we all have veto on any decision at any time, um, be that a, um, a direction that we go in, a strategy or an investment. Um, and, um, but you don't have to love it. And so that gives us some freedom to do some things which are, we, maybe we don't all love, um, but, we don't, but we give each other some leeway, some stretch. Um, but if there's anything that feels against our values or really challenging, um, then we have that opportunity to veto. Um, and I think that gives that right balance. And so for all decisions, we go through that process and make sure that um, we, we're all playing a role that we're comfortable with. What's the last thing that both of you guys have vetoed? I think I'm the only one that's ever vetoed anything. Um, and that was some pretty wild, I mean, it was a wild concept that involved um, native land here in Australia and, and underwater sea exploration. And I couldn't get comfortable that either there was good consultation with Indigenous populations or that it was really taking into consideration the, the possible unintended consequences in the ocean. And so that was like a case where I just couldn't get comfortable. I just thought the negative unintended consequences were too high um, and the people that were pitching the project weren't interested in finding out those unknowns. And so for me, that was like, these are the wrong people to do this crazy thing. Cool idea, but wrong people. And um, I, I think I felt pretty nervous that Adam and Jake were going to say like, no, we really want to do this. And I expressed real discomfort and they were like cool no worries vetoed off the table yeah, the, yeah. um I, so i don't think i've ever used it but the, the thing one of the principles that we come with which uh, two principles that we come into this um with that probably help with that um one is a principle of better not perfect um and so um the bar we set the bar at a level which is attainable and seeking to constantly increase that ambition um, but the other is um, that we don't want to have any FOMO. Um, so no fear of missing out. Um, and so the, these projects come up and if, if we do pass on them, um, that's okay because there'll be another great project um, next week or next year. Um, mm -hmm. And we don't need to fear that we're going to miss this, this one. I mean, how do you guys sort out, um, are you dealing with a specific pool of money and you guys are all proportionally equal in the investment size? Or, I mean, how do you sort out the, uh, the sizing? Um, so we, we're working on a portfolio together um, and all decisions are joint decisions. It's not, um, 
it's all completely together. And so we work together on that asset allocation um, and sized um, across all asset classes. So um, we we go through together um, annually what that strategic asset allocation should look like um, in the same way that any kind of investment um, would be sized. And then um, we talk about diversification and in each asset class, we have different diversity targets. And that, so if we have a certain pool of money and we want to make 10 investments in that pool, then that kind of um, automatically answers how how big each investment should be mm-hmm. um, to, to kind of ladder up to make sense um, to that asset allocation. But it is a moving, it's something that we're reviewing constantly. And we all do um, our own investments separate to that. So I think part of the reason that it works is that um, if one person vetoes, then another person might choose to do it in their personal. And we also might choose to co-invest. So if one person, if we're doing something within Triple that we're really inspired by, um, we might individually co-invest as well in that deal. So again, one of those decision-making tools we made early was it wouldn't be 100% of our capital in Triple. We would maintain some independence so that when there were things that we were inspired by or you know, we're really excited about that we could do that without other eyes and that we we kind of felt like we could go deeper into one impact area personally um, and not have to be responsible to kind of the overall goals of Triple. What is the original Milgram family story? Um, both, um, you know, the ability to actually have a pool of resources to actually do this and then two, to intentionalize it. Uh, or has it always been intentional? Um, no, so the the kind of original wealth creation started with our great-grandmother um, who started a retail shop in Melbourne, Australia. Um, and that business was grown by our grandparents and then taken over by our mum, who still runs the business day to day and it's now a fashion um, a fashion business. Um, and that they were always extremely intentional about philanthropy. And so that that responsibility, was was very strong um and um our grandparents set up a foundation 40 years ago um we were brought into that conversation very young um and that that um supporting community was a really important part but always in a very um traditional kind of business over one hand um philanthropy on the other side um but philanthropy was like the key conversation around the dinner table um, around events, um, it was very that that was very core to the identity of our family, um, and so I think that um, responsibility trans translated very strongly into us. And so for us, um, it was natural to think about the responsibility that we had once it being like being born into this family um, of complete like of pure luck. Um, that holds a great responsibility. And I think I would speak for myself, but and um, but it didn't make sense to bifurcate and to say, oh, I'll do business over here and I'll be um, socially conscious over there. Um, for me, it was just a natural position to explore those worlds together. Um, and so, so that that for me, and as soon as I heard about the concept of impact investment and business doing good, it was like a switch had been flicked. And that for me sent an, me on a path which um is kind of now myopic focus 
Beck, do you have anything to add to that in terms of um, the storyline? Yeah, I guess we, Adam was doing this a lot longer than, than Jake and I. So Adam was really looking at impact investment for and, and sharing that with Jake and I. And Jake and I were busy doing um, other things. There's a 12-year gap between Jake and Adam. And I'm in the middle, six years up, six years down. So we we have all been at different stages. Um, but really we were all through our 20s looking at how do we make our consumer choices align with our values? How do we make our um, job choices align with our values? And, and we kind of came together. I was living overseas for a long time um, and I had just returned to Australia and we came together in this moment and said, we all feel really passionate about uh, using all the energy we have for good in line with our values. What does that mean to kind of look at this, this other resource um, that we just happen to be lucky enough to be born into? Um, and fortuitously, like a whole lot of dominoes happened, right? Like I, I just moved back to the country. We all had a bit of capacity um, in terms of job roles and um, there was a sale of a family asset that meant there was a potential pool of capital available. And, and that was really, I think, the catalyst to saying, well, let's, let's test this out. Let's test out the theory of how we work together, how we use impact, how we, how we talk um, to the family about intentional capital. Um, and I, I think that was kind of what spurred it. And it's now been three years that we've been doing this and, and just kind of strength to strength, realizing like, yeah, we really like this. This is really important. Let's keep doing it. Your mother is uh, still involved in retail and still involved in uh, the business. Um, um, so I'm assuming that she's still with you. Is your father still with you? Um, um, I'd like to know, like, I mean, what role have they played in um, either encouraging you or indifferent to what I mean you're doing? I'm just trying to understand how sort of this is all played out in terms of you know the generation that's above you. Yeah. So they're. Um they're both still with us um, and very supportive of us doing the work. Um, I think they, they find it, they still find it challenging to, to think about the world um, as business and impact together. Mm. Um, and I think that that, that comes from their decades of doing business a different way. Um, but one of the things that's really important for us in triple is that we're showing a model of what the future of capital can look like and that we make it accessible and that we bring them on the journey um, both in the way in the work we're doing but also in the people we're meeting and the the philosophies that underpin it and what are they saying when i mean you bring them in like i mean what's an example of you bringing them in is it more of a, just a casual thing at dinner time and going over there on the weekends or is there a more formal thing that's taking place between you and your parents uh, so it's it's both. Um, so we we live and breathe this. So um, it's definitely at dinner time and um, on going for walks and um, hanging out. This is part of the conversation. Um, but also um, on a formal basis, um, we we're doing reporting on Triple, and it's a really important part for us. So we're actually publishing um, public impact reports um, that people can look at, and then um, going into depth with our family with these um, to, to really dig in and let them ask questions. Um, and we're doing that on a um, semi-annual basis um, on that. And then we're also doing co-investing with 
um, other parts of the family as well to like literally bring them in on opportunities. Beck, Beck, you're smiling. Do you have something to add there? Uh, I was just thinking about, um, so part of our, exactly as Adam mentioned, part of our theory is that um, what we don't want to see is that impact investing is a sector. We think that impact is a, is a theory, like theory of how to be using capital in the future, right? Capital should only be used as a force for good. Um, it doesn't make sense to create destruction in the world, like full stop. So like, let's not do that with our capital. And so I think um, what we're trying to do is show you can be impact in every asset class, you can be impact in every portfolio construction, you can be impact um, no matter what your risk return profile looks like. Um, and I was just, I was just laughing because sometimes when we talk to the broader world, um, our families and other families and other people that's that's more um, welcoming them into opportunities and sometimes it feels like you know pulling them in a bit, a bit more dragging them into the conversation a bit more um, a bit less willingly but I, I love having those conversations I love having having the hard conversations with um, with people and learning from what they've done and why they did it and what information we have now and how we can do things differently um, so I find that that really playful um, how to kind of challenge the status quo and um, think about why have we done these things the way we did them and, and what is enough and when can we think about things differently and that to me, that to me is really a really engaging part of doing this work. And what is it that you think... Um you know, internally or that's part of your essence back that really longs to have those most, you know, those hard conversations, as you put it. <laughs> um, I love having hard conversations. That's just, uh, somebody described Adam, Jake and I to me yesterday as really curious people. And I think that's, that's right. We, we always want to look behind the curtain. We want to know like, oh, but why did you do that? Like what caused that? Like what's happening over here? Um, and so I think that is just a part, a part of us. The other part is just that it makes no sense to me that you would look at a, a long-term investment in fossil fuels when you know that it's not going to create a future that actually is going to sustain, sustain you, right? So some of it is just like a natural curiosity and other is just like, do we know this doesn't make sense? Like, do we all realise right now, like, you're saying you want something and doing something else and, and let's explore why. And like, I say this externally, but I mean it for myself too, right? Like all the time I'm like, Oh, I I've been doing this forever this way, but actually like it's, it's not in line with what I want. Why don't I rethink um, my strategy? And so it's, it's an internal curiosity about like, how do I keep growing and challenging what I'm doing and why I'm doing it? Um, and because I learn in conversation, I learn from other people, that conversation with others about why they're doing what they're doing and how they're thinking about it, I find really nourishing. Adam, you mentioned to uh, me offline, and I mean, I think this is uh, um, a good point to sort of inject here is that, so it sounds like your family um, really has um 
a certain amount of mutual respect for every uh, for for each other. One, um, it sounds like you're also doing your own different preferences and have your own value systems in terms of not only in, in kind, but maybe in degree, probably. I mean, maybe you're all for equality, you're all for climate, but it's a question of uh, on the spectrum more. But I mean, if you had to sort of point out like where the rub is, the inevitable rub of just, you're dealing with group dynamics and you're dealing with people that have all these separate lives. I mean, you're a parent of three, uh, you know, Jake's just beginning uh, his life. Your parents are much older. Um, you know, I mean, they have legacy thinking. I mean, here you are collapsing impact and business together. You're like, I don't even get this whole philanthropy business stuff, you know, separating. It just seems silly. Uh, so inevitably, there is a certain amount of rub. And so I'm just sort of like wondering, like, where do you guys start with Adam and then Beck? Where do you sort of see that regular rub occurring specifically, maybe either between siblings or intergenerational? Um, yeah, so I think that the there is there is a huge amount of mutual respect, um, and um, I think acknowledgement that everyone's on their own path. Um, where it where it rubs the most, and um, Beck and I uh, w and Jake had this conversation this week. I think where I feel it is the sense of urgency, um, and um, the the question of like in the of like what is the most good that we can do um and that that's a question like how quickly do we need to do it and what what is the most good we can do in this moment with this decision um i think that's 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 an area where um it is good to feel uncomfortable like that you know, um that because there are huge problems and there is a massive sense of urgency um the the tension comes is that um you we don't want to, none of us want to be reckless and we, um, and we don't want to be, um, we don't want to squander an opportunity to have a really positive impact by acting too fast. And so I think that that, um, that is a question that comes up a lot. Um, and it ties into like where, um, where we feel that we are in the world, in our place in the world. Um, and, um, what we're doing at the moment. And so I think for me, the, the having, having kids and having a third kid particularly um, probably stretches out. And like, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about like, well, what, what is their world going to look like in 40 or 50 years um, when, when they're fully grown adults, um, which, which for me, like takes away some sense of urgency because I, I need to be thinking for there um the the opposite side of that is there's problems that need to be solved today and um there's a tension between which one of those you choose to focus on i agree and i think i feel the rub as well when we're trying to figure out which eggshells to break to make the omelet mm -hmm. so one of the eggshells we're not willing to break is like we we want to work together more than we want to be right so sometimes you kind of have to be like, okay, I know that I feel really passionate about that, but like, I, I love my brothers and I love my family and I, I want to maintain these relationships more than I want this investment or to be heard or to be, you know, um, to be fully, to be agreed with. Um, so I think that is in the macro, one of the ways that I'm like, oh, we have to 
constantly consider like which eggshells do we want to break um and then I think we do the same in in investments and um thinking about what negative unintended consequences are we going to accept can we accept um inequality for the sake of environmental like progression yes no maybe somewhere in between how do we decide um for example you know in a really practical sense like do we want to invest in um fund vc funds that support underrepresented founders if they're not working in impact you know like which is how do you weigh up like the macro and and we have tension there right because that's all important work um and so we we disagree and i think sometimes that means we miss opportunities see adam you want to pick up on that uh part about um urgency and patience uh, one is like I, li I like to color in and ground it a little bit in terms of like what does like what specifically feels urgent to you um and you can sort of choose your sort of your area or your domain and then like how do you know what patience looks like and balancing that urgency and patience yeah so i i mean the problems the, all the problems feel urgent um so climate change particularly feels urgent inequality feels urgent indigenous um rights in australia feels particularly urgent um the it, i don't think it's a question that like all of these problems should have been solved yesterday like that's like from the baseline like and they're all important um they the the question is really more practical of like with our capital with our networks with our resources which problem should we solve and in which way and which with which level of urgency and so um there are some problems which we can uh, more easily solve more quickly and there's some and some problems are going to take a lot of time and so we work we try and think about using what i would describe as like all the tools in the tool shop or in the in the tool shed and so um we work in grant making um, in the philanthropic side, particularly in advocacy, um, which is a long game um, and you don't expect instant results. Um, and we do that both across environmental causes and um, inequality as our two kind of broad themes. And so um, that might be gender um, or um, Indigenous or um, other types of inequality. Um, and in environment, it's, it's very much policy driven. Um, and then um, in the investment point of view, sometimes there's more direct action that we can take. And so we can finance a solar farm today that's going to have an impact today, um, and that hits the urgency button, but we we are a tiny, tiny part of the solution to that problem. And so on the stuff that we can do urgently and quickly, I feel like an insignificantly small like impact Whereas on the stuff that can take a long time, like advocacy, we could have a huge impact. We could change policies for a nation, but that's mm -hmm. going to be a long game. And so that I think that is the tension um, and acknowledging our resources within that and our networks and our capabilities um, and that we probably can't do as much as we would like to do um, ever and being comfortable with that as well. So Becca... Like what feels most urgent for you? And maybe feels like you can do enough, fast enough, 
as wide enough and, you know, in terms of scope, but how do you start balance the urgency with being patient? I don't know. How do you do it? <laughs> Fair enough. I think I think that's that's my honest answer. Um, we we are trying and uncomfortable. And so, so when you say uncomfortable, I mean color that in a little bit. I mean, what does feeling uncomfortable look like when 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 navigating these tensions? Um, good question. So. It's uncomfortable to me to choose between the urgency of climate change and inequality. That is uncomfortable. Like how do I, who am I to decide what's more urgent or important? And yet I ha we have to because we're making decisions. Um, it's also uncomfortable to me to assess uh, advocacy strategies and, and people working in policy and change making because that's not my my world it's that you know these people have worked um in in this sector forever and and you know we're looking at that so part of part of what's uncomfortable is being a small a small team and kind of having to grow our expertise and the people around us but also acknowledging the resources that we have and that you know we can only do so much of bringing bringing other people in before we're diverting all our resources to consulting experts and never actually deploying capital. Um, and I, I think um, for me, it, it's just equally uncomfortable and joyful work. Like that, that's kind of, I, I take it as a given that you're going to have to be pushed out of your comfort zone because you're making decisions um, that with unknown consequences, because because we are trying to solve really complex problems in a, in a world where we don't know what what's going to shake out. Um, but but that is kind of the joy of doing it because it means that we're doing something different. If it was if it was comfortable and easy, we'd just be doing the regular thing. If we're doing something uncomfortable, it's probably because it's hard and worthy. So, so on the flip side, like it's really joyful, it's really playful, it's really we get to learn heaps. Um, and and on the other side, it's like, oh, I'm not sure um, how this is going to shake out. And you know, you've got to get comfortable with some level of risk. How how do you know? Um, how do you know? Because it's hard, it's worth doing. I mean, you know, I, you know, I mean, I sort of grew up with that mantra as well. And it's just sort of an aphorism that, you know, you hear in the States as well. And maybe, you know, I'm 49, I'm on my back 40, maybe my back 30. And I'm just sort of curious on, I was like, really? I mean, now when I work out hard, I pull a muscle, I hurt myself. And so I'm not quite convinced that this mantra, because it's hard, it's like, it's worth doing. Um, and one, so you can respond to that, but I also want you uh, to think about this as well. So you can never do enough, but how do you know when enough is enough? Like, I mean, how do you maintain an element of like ongoing centeredness? Um, I mean, we're, you know, I mean, you're still a relatively, you know, young woman and Adam's still a, a relatively, um, you know, young man. And I mean, there is a sense of like personal health and like, psychic equilibrium that one has to maintain over a period of life i if, if one always felt like there was an ongoing deficit like the world's going to shit every day i mean you can think like that but i suspect that part of you may think the world's going to shit every day but another part of you says like 
knows your own limitations. And that's what I would like to sort of hear a little bit more about. Sure. On the kind of first question, like, is it worth doing because it's hard that I really take that it's a good challenge. I think, um, what, what I, what I lean into there is like, if the status quo is easy and it's obvious that the status quo isn't serving us, then anything else is going to be hard or, um, but if that anything else is values aligned and serving people and planet, then it's worth doing. I totally agree with you. It's not just, it's not worth doing the heavy lifting just to say, you know, I bench press 200. Um, but I think when the easy path is not taking us to where we want to go mm-hmm. and, the, and anything else is harder than that, but it's values aligned and it's taking us where we want to go, it's worth doing. On the question of like, when is enough enough? I, I think this is a question that we talk about in the, the tonic WhatsApp group a bit, you know, like it's very clear to us when enough dollars is enough. That, that is an easy question, but when is enough impact enough? Like, I think you're right. You could lie in bed at night and think I didn't do enough to save the planet today. <laughs> or I didn't, um, and you just crumble. So I think part of what saves us is at triple is this kind of better, not perfect. We're in a marathon, not a sprint. We're going to try and do everything we can. We're going to, you know, like deploy in the most thoughtful way we can. And then when we learn new information, we're going to do something different. Um, And so this better, not perfect mentality is, can be relaxing in a way. It can provide some sort of, We're on the journey here and we don't have to beat ourselves up because of course you don't run the marathon the first day you start training. And of course there's no end point where the world's problems are solved. Like we solve, you know, the challenge of today and then the next challenge comes and the next challenge comes. And so I think if you take those two things that movement on the path is better than better than no movement and there will always be challenges. And so it's, it's so not on us to solve the problems. I mean, there's the shadow side of, of responsibility is this kind of grandeur, like this idea that we're here to solve it, which of course we're not. Um, and so I think there's, there are moments where I feel an existential crisis and I'm like, oh, everything's so effed, like this is scary. And there are moments where I'm like, okay, I need to balance that workout with, you know, going and farming or getting into community or doing those things. But, but on the whole, I think it's, it's remembering that this is a lifelong journey and there is nothing that can be solved in a day. And so we shouldn't expect that of ourselves. Adam, you have anything that you have something to add in, in terms of um, some of those points about enoughness and and your own limitations? Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with Beck that we're greedy for impact. Um, like, is <laughs> an, it, an expression that she used which really resonated for me. Like, I, I'm not sure there is enough. I, I'm not sure that we will ever feel like we are having enough impact. Um, yeah. And I, I don't strive to feel enoughness in that um, in that se- in that sense. Um, but I'm also like I think that we the three of us um, 
are innately optimistic as well. And so like, I, I believe that the world will persevere and that we have the tools to solve the problems um, that we are faced and that it's up to us to use the tools um, to our best ability, but I'm optimistic that we will. And so that sense of optimism kind of um, dampens the existential threat of demise um, because that is just not a reality that I can, like I can get to, I, like we have seen over the time of world, of, over the course of history, that um, the world has had challenges which seemed insurmountable at the time and then people with ingenuity and um, innovation have have solved these problems. Um, and it feels to me that it it is no accident that just when we need renewable energy, renewable energy is the best form of energy. It's cheaper, it's more efficient, it's more effective, um, and it's just at the right time when we need it. Um, that That is not an accident to me. That is the actual natural course of innovation. Well said. Is there anything, um, as we wrap up the conversation here, that either emerged that uh, wasn't shared as part of our conversation or something that uh, has been occupying you before we had this conversation that you would like people to know about in terms of either the Milgram family as a whole or you as an individual? I suppose the, the thing that comes up for me and when we're talking about this and, and listening to both of you, it, it's easy to slip into imposter syndrome in this space. It's easy to slip into paralysis, analysis paralysis in this space. Um, the things we're talking about, about how do you how do you make decisions and how do you wrestle with tension and how do you hold all this stuff going against the status quo seems like reasons not to do them. I would say they're all the reasons to do them. So like we started before we were ready in the sense that like we didn't have all the answers. We still don't have all the answers. We're constantly asking questions. I think that that is something that people often say to me like, but how do we start or how do we know that we're doing the right thing? You start by starting when, you're, when you are asking those questions in the way that makes sense to you and, and you ask lots of questions of other people and you don't worry that you're going to like possibly do it not as well as you expected because you're, you're doing it better than when you weren't doing it. So I think that is the thing that emerges for me because even in these conversations, I'm like, oh, that's, that like really makes me think, am I showing up enough? Am I, you know, am I being thoughtful enough? Am I being curious enough? Am I, um, and I think the, the, what, the answer is yes, because we're here and we're doing it. Um, but three years in, I'm still feeling a bit like unsure. I'm still questioning and um, that won't go away before you start the work. So that would be the only thing that's coming up for me, I suppose. Adam? Um, I don't think I can top that. I think that that's a really, a really strong reflection. Um, the, for me, um, the reason for doing this work is to, to, to work together with more um, people who also want to do this. Um, and so we would love, um, we would love more conversations um, and we'd love to see 
into other people's worlds and um, to be pushed and um, to to get insight into how other people are solving the problems that we're we're solving. And so I think that for me is a really important part of doing this work um, and on the kind of continuous evolution and striving to continuously be better. Um, and so would love people to reach out to us um, and connect and join us um, in Tonic and um, have more of these conversations. Adam and Beck, um, I, what really sticks out for me is this whole notion of um, uh, as part of the decision-making process and keeping things flowing is this notion of better and not perfect. It really keeps coming back to me and it's something that I'm really going to take away from, from the conversation and really impose on my own life and just see if there's any friction in my own existence being held because of perfection, idealism versus is it better? And so I'm really moved by that. Um, where could people learn more about your work, uh, whether it's the whether it's the Milgram family or uh, you guys in terms of your individual work, Adam and Beck? So a triple is spelled T-R-I-double-P-L-E because we had to be different. <laughs> but from a really formal point of view, the website is triple.com.au. Um, we're, we're all on LinkedIn. We, I think I agree with Adam. Tonic is, is one of the, the magic spaces to connect. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, through our website, through LinkedIn, um, we're, pretty, we're pretty accessible. Um, we love having these conversations, right? We want to learn more. Every time we speak to people, we learn more um, about the world in which we work and, and the world in which we live. So um, the more, the better. Thank you, Beck. Thank you, Adam. Thanks so much for having us, Gino. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening in to today's conversation on the poetry of impact. The podcast exists for and because of listeners like you. Be sure to subscribe to the Poetry of Impact podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you have time, leave us a review. Thanks again and goodbye for now. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast. For show notes and additional resources, visit poetryofimpact.com.